This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 98, where we're talking about Iron Fist, season 1, episode 9, The Mistress of All Agonies. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast. This is episode 98 of our podcast talking about Iron Fist, season one, episode nine, The Mistress of All Agonies. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Chris, a.k.a. Siri, if you listened to the last episode. (laughs) Sorry, Chris. Thanks, Derek. (laughs) Well, we do like to have a couple of outtakes if we find them in our episode. So have a listen to the end of the last episode, the last minute. Um, a little bit of fun with poor little Chrissy. <laughs> wait, hold on, wait, wait. For anyone, put put me on loudspeaker if you're listening right now. Okay, Siri. Okay, Siri. Okay, Siri. There you go. Hey. Uh, all right. There we go, guys. So we're into episode 98, two away from the centennial. Yeah, a few uh, episodes away from our 100th episode. Big milestone for us. Uh, please leave a voicemail uh, for our 100th episode on anything to do with Iron Fist, the podcast, uh, you name it. Um, it's all within scope of the 90 seconds. Uh, you can talk about Siri if you want or <laughs> anything to do with uh, the Defenders TV podcast. Even some of the interactions, say, between Daredevil season two and iron fist or luke cage and jessica jones anything like that be really interesting to hear uh, and so we can involve uh, everyone who listens everyone who uh, interacts with us on facebook um and twitter in in the hundredth episode that would be really good because of course we do this not only because we enjoy it but also because uh, we have a great time with the community around defenders Absolutely, yeah. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, just go over to DefendersTVPodcast.com. Just click on the Send Voicemail button where you can record 90 seconds of your thoughts and pop it into us. Otherwise, you can just record it on your phone and send it as an MP3 file to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. But we'd love to get your voice on the podcast for our 100th episode. Uh, We've been doing this for just over two years now. It's been really great fun. I always really enjoy hearing from the listeners. Uh, This is the ninth episode of uh, our Iron Fist coverage, which, as you you know is coming out on uh, tuesday the 11th of april uh, new episodes come out every friday and tuesday each week with our episode 10 review coming out on friday the 14th what that means is our 100th episode will be out on tuesday the 18th of april we're hoping to record it on good friday so our 100th episode will be a great friday right absolutely yeah. Do we think the Queen will send us a letter like she does everyone else? Because she she moved from birthdays to podcasts because that's kind of more important now. I like it. I like it. Yeah. That would be quite cool. Get in contact with Lizzie, John, as yeah. our as our English representative. Can you get in contact with Lizzie? Um, yeah, Liz, I've got her on speed dial, you know. Um, <laughs> it's either that or we'll get crucified on Sunday. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sweet zombie Jesus, we do have a connection on this episode to Easter, really, don't we? We certainly do. Well, this is obviously our spoiler-filled episode. I hope that didn't spoil you. Uh, make sure you've watched the episode before you listen on to uh, any of the rest of our discussions about this episode. Uh, we'll be here when you come back. Don't worry. Um, but I think it's time to get into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 9, The Mistress of All Agonies. You guys ready? Absolutely. Derek, tell us what are the details. 
Well, this episode was written by Jet Wilkinson. Uh, she's written um, some episodes for Winners and Losers, about eight of them. Done loads of American TV shows like How to Get Away with Murder and Bull. But she is most well known, and I love this, uh, for directing 120 episodes of the Australian TV soap <laughs> opera Home and Away. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. <laughs> uh, home and Away. Uh, I love that show. That, that's it. We're blaming Ronaldo for this one. I know <laughs> he so must have. He's the only. We only know two Australians, Ronaldo and David. So one of you guys were blaming for this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, for, thanks for sending us Jet Wilkinson to write this episode. It's really yeah. good of you. Uh, yeah. And fair play to her for for writing some, uh, you know, fairly good episodes of Home and Away. Loved that as a kid. <laughs> it was great. It was great. It's always on the beach. I mean, what's not to love? But usually, every second line is something like "Get away from me, you flaming galah," isn't it? I think so. <laughs> I think this is where actually Australian stereotypes came from, was Neighbours and uh, and Home and Away. Without a doubt. But anyway, the episode was directed by Pat Charles, uh, worked on the TV show Bones with David Boreanaz, um, Angel himself, and at the 20th anniversary of Buffy, which just happened last week, that's quite a, quite a good connection there, I think. Absolutely. Another fantastic uh, TV show. Excellent. I love Bones because I've watched nearly every episode of it. Cool. I think it's time for John to tell us what they gave us with his synopsis for this episode. Yes, I shall be the UN Peace Force here by coming in with a synopsis and boring everyone to death. <laughs> That's how the UN Peace Force works? Absolutely. Oh my god, I thought they were military. I didn't know they actually just bored people by reading synopsis. <laughs> Today in the Great War. So John, do you want to give us your synopsis for the episode? Sure. In a pond somewhere in New York, the figure of Harold Meacham, a.k.a. the zombie ice cream killer, rises from the shallows and begins to remember his past events of his previous zombie existence. In the meantime, Danny and his crew return to New York with Madame Gao. At the dojo, Danny, Colleen and Claire try to extract information from Gao using at first some light interrogation techniques, but resorting to sodium thiopental, the truth serum, to force her to talk. However, Gao is more resilient than they thought, resisting all their attempts to gain intel on the hand. Colleen begins to fall ill after it is shown that she was poisoned from an injury during the fight in Anjou. Meanwhile, Ward returns to the penthouse where Harold feigns forgiveness before planting drugs in Ward's car and sending him to Birch Psychiatric Hospital. As Colleen's condition worsens, Gao's men attempt to rescue her but are foiled by Danny Clare and Colleen's mentor, Bakuto who then instructs Danny to use his chi for a very different purpose. As they escape the dojo, an unknown mysterious figure arrives outside after coming from Rand Enterprises. However, back at the penthouse, Harold becomes more unstable as he kills his assistant, Kyle. But an unexpected guest at the apartment seemingly restores his fatherly humanity. I think this leads us nicely on to point one, half-dead Harold um, and the ice cream killer. Which kind of reminds me of Dexter with the uh, ice truck killer. I must, um, I must admit that's exactly what I was thinking when I wrote that point. Um, this is great, though. This is one of the first times we've ever had a huge twist in the show happen right at the start. So we're able to talk about it at the beginning of the podcast. I think every other time we've been holding ourselves back from the big moment at the end of the podcast. This yeah. time we see a dead body rising from a lake in New York and it's Harold Meacham. We got it right, boys. I know. I know. I started watching this and literally I think I... Within first six minutes, I was like texting you guys, going, 
Um, have you guys watched it yet? <laughs> like trying to be like not too enthusiastic. Yeah. I, I was like winding my words, and then you went, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> we yeah. got it right." Uh-huh. Yeah, that I was can't awesome. Believe it. Yeah, I I loved the way he came out of the the pond uh, and kind of slid up uh, the bank. I kind of I just loved his. You know, you tell obviously his memories weren't there, and they were gradually came back. I mean, he put his well, he put his hand into a a boiling uh, boiling water to try and get the hot dog out mm-hmm. of it. Um, I've been that hungry before, though. He was yeah. vomiting something quite grim, actually, as well. Um, yeah, it was quite interesting. He went for yeah. the hot dog because he needed something to eat. He found the 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 smell of the hot dog being hugely attractive, and then he basically threw up in the park and went, "I'm good." <laughs> so, I don't know. In in Zombie Ward's brain, I guess the two are kind of interchangeable, either eating or doing that. I don't know. Yeah, like, um, but it it was really good. I mean, we should have obviously. It, I mean, our prediction maybe isn't as insightful, it's given that he was a zombie anyway, because he had been resurrected again. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's just now that he can uh, resurrect multiple times, like Nobu um, has been able to do. Yeah, uh, and who knows what. It's going to happen to Electra. She's going to come out wanting to eat brains and gain knowledge. <laughs> well, that or was... have ice cream. <laughs> or have ice cream. Well, that was kind of the point, I suppose. I think they've set this up from the start that Harold Meacham will be coming back. Uh, was really surprised when he was killed because obviously it's David Wenham. Um, but yeah, they set it up that he did die and come back to life uh, before we even started the show. That was kind of the setup of the character. And really what I think they're doing here is kind of setting up something for the future of the Defenders. Um, as we saw in Daredevil Season 2, and hopefully you've watched that, uh, Elektra has died and is going and has, has now been brought back to life. So I think what they're setting up here is Elektra's going to follow this character arc. She's died, she's been brought back to life. The people in her past that she loved and cared about, like Matt Murdock, obviously, um, they will now be enemies to her. She will be more of an evil character than she was in the series. She probably won't be fighting alongside Daredevil this time. She will be going after the people that she loved, just like Harold does in this episode. He starts to get a bit more evil towards uh, his his lovely, lovely attendant, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, David Wenham was fantastic here. Like, really good sort of acting chops on display. You know, I think uh, just how he portrays that kind of bamboozlement uh, and disorientation and then kind of trying to reintegrate back with um, other people, whether it's just the, the hot dog attempt stand attendant or, or seller or just the woman on the street, uh, the woman on the street. and ultimately people who maybe are, are closer to him, like Kyle, you know, mm-hmm. and Ward. Yeah, one thing did you notice? He didn't bleed. Mm-hmm. He pulled that knife out and there was no blood. I know, I know. And I'm like, so he is now full on dead because well, yeah. when he cut his finger off, uh-huh. he bled. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, or maybe it's that's what all the gunk was. Maybe the blood kind of solidifies, but then as he kind of warms up to temperature um, or something, <laughs> or gets more alive. I don't know uh, how these things work. Yeah. Um, I have to go to um, the New Testament um, of the Bible just to see how zombies work, Isn't or it? the Walking Dead, or yeah. the Walking Dead. Um, well, he's not a zombie, you know. He so he's he's. I reckon he will bleed. I know what you mean, though, Chris. Like he was. Um, fairly, he, he felt more resilient, more um, like he would be able to take pain better. And I wonder if that is 
he says to Kyle in the back of the car that, um, you know, what what do you what would you do if you had found out that you were effectively <laughs> immortal? That realization that Harold ultimately gets there, it is probably important for him uh, now moving forward. He probably just thought it was a one off before, um, and that you know. If he dies, he dies again, and that's it. Well, and that's why he was drinking that absolutely horrible drink, wasn't it? And that's why he throws it out the window, because he's like, I don't need this stuff to take care of my liver anymore. I can come back to life. Absolutely. Uh, and we have a, a whiskey watch on that point. Because, yeah, he shuns the milk thistle garden plot drink um, for uh, a bit of bourbon. He asks Kyle, do we have something stronger, a bit of bourbon? Now, he doesn't pick bourbon, I don't think, but we do have a, a Johnny Walker black label being mm-hmm. swigged. Um, by by Harold here. Nice um, to have whiskey watch back. Yeah, good to have whiskey watch back. A nice crossover with Jessica Jones. I love the I love the fact that there were tiny bottles though. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> I, I I personally love the tiny bottles because I feel like a giant. It's just like ah, 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 I'm gonna get so drunk on this. Ah, ah. Oh, hopefully, there's hundreds of tiny bottles though. Of course, um, <laughs> he just we're gonna see the next episode of him waking up just in like and making a snow angel of a tiny bottle of bourbon. And- <laughs> just like yeah they're all empty absolutely but i did love that scene of the car just just quickly to go back to it i love the question to kyle uh the innocent intern um where he says what would you do if you found out you were immortal and he goes i'd eat ice cream for breakfast and lunch and he goes amazing and kyle goes thank you and harold's response is it's not a compliment (laughs) (laughs) which i love i love the long-suffering kyle i'm so glad to see him back in this episode for the final time uh chris i know you held back on talking about kyle because you knew there was something coming up with the character uh because of how uh how disastrously he was treated by harold in the first couple episodes do you want to talk about kyle now since you probably won't get another opportunity he's gone um i i think there was just a the sniveling intern persona Uh if you want to call it that um, I, I've never liked it. I, I think it just cut too close to home <laughs> in my own personal professional life at the beginning of my professional career. I was going and to I'm, say that until you said sniveling intern, and then I was like, oh, this is going to be really cruel if I say that, that was that too close <laughs> to you, Chris. <laughs> was he an no. intern? He, well, he, a personal I assistant. I don't think we call them that. We call them admins now, administrators. Yeah. Personal administrators. Yeah. But anyway, I, I think... Because this is how we met first, Chris. This is how myself and Chris first met in a, in a job. Chris came straight out of college and worked for the same company that I worked for. Uh, doing this type of work very late into the night. Uh, yeah. Many nights in a row. So I know when Kyle appeared on the show, I suddenly kind of went, Oh God, Chris isn't going to like this character at all. No. I thought you would have had empathy, Chris. You would have felt for his, his kind of uh, plight. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but who likes just vanilla ice cream? Seriously. Come on. <laughs> like, he got offered cornflakes flavoured. You always go for the, the weird ones. Because like, yeah. then you're like, mm, mm, oh, no, no, that's disgusting. But at least I tried it. Well, let's go no. on to the ice cream killer moment uh, where Harold thinks he's doing a wonderful thing for his uh, for his personal administrator. Um, it gives him exactly what he said he wanted if he knew he was going to live the, live for the, forever. Uh, it gives him a table full of ice cream. Very cool setup there. I love the moment when Harold just changes with him, though. Uh, he's looking at the full suite of every single flavor you can possibly imagine. And Kyle goes, do you have any vanilla? That's kind of all I can take. Yeah, biggest you know. mistake ever. Absolutely. Kyle, what were you thinking? Oh, my goodness. 
um, <clears throat> you've always seemed nervous of, of Harold uh, and you kind of say the wrong thing at the wrong time. <laughs> and it leads to what I can only describe as one of the most awesome deaths ever. I love the fact that he was killed with an ice cream scoop. In fact, I do think it's my new weapon of choice for when the zombie horde attack. Oh, you never want to be too close with the zombie horde, though, John. <laughs> well, that's true. And I did think I've just been doing this on Facebook uh, this morning. And um, so people probably think I'm, I've gone slightly crazy. But like, I just thought because I had zombie Harold in my mind, sweet zombie Harold. Um, I did think he was kind of going to lift out the brains to gain Kyle's knowledge. Um, you know, put a few scoops of, of brain ice cream into the bowl uh, and, and gain the knowledge. But I love the fact that it's kind of like a rage thing here. I think mm. that's why it works so well. Um, it's not brutal for the sake of it. I mean, it's to an extent that uh, Harold maybe can't control um, whatever it is that is done to the body or to the mind or both uh, in this resurrection process. That exactly. you know, At the end of the day, he's doing something hugely nice for Kyle after asking him what he would do if he could live forever. And then a, a slight faux pas, the ice cream faux pas to end all faux pas, um, makes him switch on a dime. And then as soon as he's done it, he's all remorseful, um, you know, and he's kind of lying next to Kyle, almost hugging him, saying, like, I, I'm really sorry. Even though he says, like, the line that he says to Kyle is, just shut up and die, will you? It's like, you yeah. know, he's getting that frustrated. But again, I do think there's a bigger piece in this. I don't think it's just about Harold Meacham. It is about setting up what will happen with Electra in Defenders. I think Definitely. That's, that's um, going to be the big build on this so if you don't watch iron fist if you haven't seen the series and don't see the scene i think they're going to have to do a little bit more work with the electric character to make you understand that she isn't the one that we saw in season two of daredevil definitely but certainly i think um harold uh should be the one going to the uh, birch psychiatric hospital we also get some more exposition from hiking yang um the the leader of the hatchet men when ward goes to visit him as well mm. who um you know talks about sort of ancient legends and, and stories about this process and and that ultimately um people who have been resurrected using this method um tend to to go after and destroy the ones they love mm -hmm. and we see this obviously um in this episode for one of his siblings yeah that, john i'm, I'm going to jump in here because i think that actually perfectly brings us on to our next point and how kind of the tables have turned on ward like we have birch heroin it's all going downhill uh-huh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. He is. we talked about okay how far would they actually take the 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 fall of ward and what we're seeing is that he's probably becoming more and more comfortable with this break that he has mm -hmm. and it's becoming the norm so he's being able to put on a face of normalcy while still literally he's taking heroin yep he's hooking it right to his skin well kind of yeah yeah he's definitely he's definitely using it de definitely using this new version of the heroin that's uh, that has been developed by madame Gaia's people um he's definitely got a taste for that I was really surprised that that was actually Harold that placed 
you know, a hundred bags of it on the seat on the on the side seat, the passenger seat of uh, of Ward's car to get him set up and sent to and sent to Birch Psychiatric. I thought that was really interesting that he would take a step that far to push Ward. And I love Ward's response when the cops see him. It's kind of like, do you think I'm that stupid that I would actually put it <laughs> on the seat, the passenger seat of my car? Um, I love that little moment. But uh, yeah, but I think I was kind of less surprised that he would do that. Um, I was more surprised that when they met in the penthouse, I was absolutely, I had no idea what was going to happen here. Mm. I did think that we would see potentially uh, Ward in serious trouble, if not the end of Ward. Uh, And instead, we almost get this kind of, you know, forgiveness, although it transpires it's completely faked by by Harold. He, He is kind of giving everything that Ward wants to an extent, yes, you know, you can leave the company, I won't order you around, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and it seems as though he's kind of, you know, allowing uh, Ward to, to go off and get that kind of independence, but instead he's going to make him pay. Absolutely. But it was also a bit of emotional blackmail there as well. He's like, I'll let you go, but that means I'm going to be attaching myself to Joy now, right? You, you do understand the, the situation here, Ward. If you walk away, then I have to talk to Joy. I can't run the company without one of the two of you. So your fault if if I latch on to Joy, basically. So I uh, like that little moment as well. I'm actually in John's world when that moment started i was like this is the end of ward where i thought they were going to take it was harold kills ward harold now zombified feels bad brings ward to the hand ward Ooh. comes back interesting that's where i thought it was going it may still go there mm-hmm. because i think that would be that's an interesting take cuz they literally then putting someone they're killing someone off and putting him directly in in Rand Enterprises yeah. as they can get him back. And I think that's maybe where they may go, but we'll find out. I, I overall loved it. I just this it's the the car scene for me was a bit like I don't understand. Would that actually work in real life? Like if you put a couple of bags of heroin on someone's car, mm-hmm. would 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 they get arrested and put into psychiatric care? Well, I don't know about psychiatric care. That may just be a little bit of protection from the Rand lawyers or from his lawyers that got him uh, to avoid jail and into and into uh, Birch Psychiatric. That's that's a possibility. But yeah, it's very likely that if you left a bag of coke on someone's uh, on someone's passenger seat and there were cops on the beat walking past who saw it through a window, they'd probably wait for you to come back and arrest you. Definitely. No, I, I get the arresting part. I was just the psychiatric Birch or Birch Psychiatric. I was just like. No, he should just be sitting in jail right now. Mm. That's what kind of went. Eh, okay, I'll, I'll play along. I'll play along. I, I'm going with you, writers. I'm going with you. The reason why I went with it is because there is that great scene with the psychiatrist again. <laughs> we yeah. saw in episode two. Uh, I like that he's come back and he's dealing with another member of the uh, of effectively the board of directors of, of Rand Enterprises again, like he did with Danny, where... Ward is relaying a story and going, I can't tell you this because if I tell you, then you think I'm insane. If I don't tell you, you think I'm repressing something. But yeah, I'm really in a no-win situation here. Absolutely. That that rock and a hard place uh, was played out really well by by Ward. Uh, And just uh, having the the psychiatric doctor back, I've kind of, there there was points where I was like, he looked like he was kind of uh, another one because, you know, talking about 
his dead father and you know this looks like again another big big issue for me to to deal with and maybe we just didn't see something at the prison where he's saying it's my father and they're like going uh your father's dead yeah. what's going on like i would have liked to have seen like like what you've said chris actually that he was kind of just um you know neck snapped or, or killed or something and then but kind of brought back into the hand as though it was a way of bringing him into harold's fold right. um, or even just the 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 influence of the hand um you know and, and it would maybe tie in nicely with the fact that in the comics you know ward has been shown to become more evil than he is now mm-hmm yeah, true. Um, I think we should stick with the stick with the Meachams. We got a third point on the Meachams, which is the zombie family reunion. Um, <laughs> so, as I mentioned, yeah, that the the big purpose here for Harold is that he's saying, "I'll get rid of Ward, and now I'll join back up with Joy." So, Joy now, after twelve years of thinking her father's d- dead and working every single hour of every single day to keep the Rand keep Rand Enterprises afloat, really, um, she suddenly finds out that Harold is alive. So. Do we think that, that he is now going to be using her to control the corporation, get her back on the board? Um, will she understand what's going on? Like, it's quite a significant thing to try and take in that her father's not dead. This is going to go one of two ways. This is what I literally, as it that scene ended for me, I'm like, oh, how are they going to play this now? Mm-hmm. She's going to go into shock. And it's going to be, how could you? I never want to speak to you again. I'm going to run and tell Danny. Danny's going to tell me, oh, I actually knew. Well, she's going to go, well, screw you, Danny, and screw you, Ward. Right. And she's going to go off on her own. And that's going to be like her arc to a degree slightly done. And they're setting her up as an antagonist okay. of, of Danny. Or the other way is, yes, she's actually going to go, okay, Harold is going to do something like, someone's after me. We have to fit. You have to help me, etc., etc., etc. Pulls on her own emotional strings. Then she'll, Danny will come in. She'll go, oh, you knew. Oh my god, great. Blah blah blah. Episode twelve, episode thirteen. Harold will kill someone right in front of her, or kill multiple people right in front of her, and that would be the straw that breaks the camel or the human's back in this case. Um, <laughs> All right, and, and then okay. she goes, "Holy, oh my God, my father's an evil, crazy zombie." Okay, let's process this internally, and I'm gonna go a bit Debran Wall, where it's kind of very much a, uh, I've seen some shit in my past life. Oh my God, um, and she's gonna end up being that style of character, where it's no man can ever come near me. I don't trust anyone. Okay, etc. etc. Et so by the end of the season, you're effectively saying that both Ward and uh, and Joy are going to be completely post-traumatic stress syndrome characters. They're going to be completely destroyed just by Harold, effectively. Yeah. Which makes total sense, yeah. She's a really strong character and has been since the start of the show. She's been kind of left out um, by Ward because of, obviously, Harold and his relationship. Um, so she's been she's been running a huge multinational corporation, so a really strong character, and seeing her also fall because of, because of the return of Harold will be quite an interesting story, I think. Yeah, I mean... I th- actually thought Joy's reaction on meeting her father, I thought it was really good, actually, because it, it's one of those kind of scenes where you're going, how do you play it? It's kind of like, as you say, Chris, you know, how do you react to that kind of thing? I mean, is it just complete breakdown? Is it complete pushback and whatever? And 
she kind of, I think, because Ward has shown her this penthouse, maybe, you know, she realizes that there's something that isn't being told here um, behind the, the doors. And, of course, you know, Harold's there opening them up all along the way to draw her in. And so that, um, you know, it, it puts what Ward was doing in context. So I kind of like the way she handled this joy, that it, it was kind of, you know, like, daddy kind of thing mm-hmm. and, and but then as they're hugging as he's kind of like reassuring her and so on there is this element of absolute uh sort of semi-horror starting to appear on her face that um you know or or just distress i yeah. suppose yeah that you know what the hell is going on here yeah absolutely. Um, so i i thought this was played really well because i mean it, it it's something that could have just um completely altered how you took in that scene i i thought she played it really well here yeah a question quickly if you guys remember did joy say that she saw her father die or was it ward that said he watched his father die and then come back to life i can't remember whether joy actually watched him die or whether we've heard her say it they 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 bought they both saw him dead and then the hands took him away and put him in so we assume we put they put him in the the phase the but the deal was made before he died so i think ward knew about the deal but joy didn't know about the deal i'm just wondering if she if she is now seeing her father after she saw him die if you know what i mean well she um, doesn't think she saw him die i think she saw him dead right okay at the funeral okay because he was pretty open casket okay right. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't slightly disfigured or anyway yeah yeah, yeah. He, he's a good-looking man. What I'm trying to say yeah, is, yeah, like, yeah. they're not going to close the coffin on him. It's just like give the women one last look before they put him in the ground. <laughs> good old David. Hey, we're, it's a more it's a morbid episode. I'm, I'm trying to go with gallo humor here. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Um, I think it's time to crack on to the to the other big point. The big point that that follow is the follow up to episode eight. The one we were waiting for really is the uh, interrogation of Madame Gao. Um, or lack thereof. Or lack thereof, or kind of. No, there was definitely some interrogation. I, I thought there was some really unintentional comedy in, in oh, this. Um, like, just the worst interrogation ever. I have to say, though, um, given what we said in the previous podcast um, for episode eight, that that flight back home would be so <laughs> awkward, it is kind of... You were there going, how did they get Madame Gao back here? And... Yes, how awkward was that flight back with her with her sat there? And, and it does kind of actually... Um, there's two things here for me on this. I love the fact that Gao comes back fighting. You, you see her resilient, calm, collected, but fierce towards her adversaries, mm-hmm. even though she's tied up. To me, that is Gao. And, and so that ending of episode eight, to me, doesn't make sense anymore. And... Um, and I, it really doesn't work. She kind of just is supplicant to Danny taking her away. Um, and even if it was just from the shock of him showing the power of his chi, mm. she has seen an iron fist before. It's not like this is new to her. Um, and then there's this whole thing of how do you get her back to um, to New York? You know, obviously on the plane. <laughs> how do you get her through customs? Um, I don't know. Um Back, you know, bound and and tied, or or however they yeah. did it, and it it makes me feel that they should have just set that whole thing in episode eight in New York rather than uh, in China. Hundred percent. So, uh, that's just to qualify a few things from the uh, last episode. Eight. I do realize I probably went down a bit of a 
downward negative spiral for episode eight. But um, I love the fact that Gao is back fighting. I also kind of like just the the really bad interrogation techniques, really. Um, You know, there's a lot of punches just short of her face. That was cool, actually. I did like that from Danny. Um, How it, you know, just showing the control that he has. But, you know, it almost feels as though... Gao is turning the tables on on them here and seeing the fracture uh, by, um, you know, breaking them down. I I love that kind of table being turned. And that's why I I did love uh, these scenes is purely... uh, I really did like these scenes. And it was just how Gao um, is just who she is. Fantastic. Absolutely. So, so, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of in... Uh, serious agreement with John on this. So yes, I feel that in retrospect, I may have gone slightly too hard in episode eight in a negative sense. Um, I, looking back, I rewatched it before episode nine. Mm-hmm. The, the the issues we raised are still there, but it, it's potentially it's again it's like when you overanalyze something to a degree, mm-hmm. potentially it, it can break down. What like having a thirteen episode podcast about a TV show? Uh, no, no, no. That's just fun. Um, but no, yes, I agree with you. At this point, they should have actually just agreed that yeah, okay, that that whole scene or scenes took place in New York in Chinatown. I think the only reason they had the scene in China was so that Claire and Colleen, to a, to an extent, could experience what it was that was that had caused Danny's P- PTSD. And there was no other way to show it other than him being on a flight. And they decided to plug the flight into the episode. I almost feel, I yeah. honestly, I almost feel that the scene as written in the original script did take place in New York, in one of Gao's factories in New York. And then they plugged in this flight scene because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Actually, you're right. That, like thinking about it, like that makes more, that makes more sense. Yeah. But then what you could have done why, is... Why fly eight hours back with Gao, not discuss anything with her and interrogate her or have any discussion with her from China, get her back, put her in a chair in the dojo, unless it was a, a five or ten minute drive from the warehouse? Because like, he was flying her first class on a private jet. You don't want to ruin that experience for her. <laughs> like, think about it. Like, it was true. probably her first time on a private jet. She's all like, oh, my God. Could I have I some champagne? Like, could, you, could, could you feed it to my mouth since I'm tied to this chair <laughs> on the flight? Yeah. And then yeah. there's some caviar on those tiny little bit, the, the, the bellinis, uh-huh. the tiny little bits of caviar. He's like, she may be our prisoner. But we're not te- we're not evil, and they just start like giving her champagne and yeah. caviar. <laughs> looking back on it, yeah, the, John is right. This shouldn't, have, and I, I agree. Derek, actually, looking if we think about it, this is probably that was the reason they did this mm-hmm. as an interrogation scene. I found it. It was literally good cop, bad cop, eh, cop. Like that was literally <laughs> that was the, they sick had a cop. good cop, a bad cop, and a sick cop. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, okay, okay, I get it. Right. Well, okay. let's go on. Let's go on to a really good positive for this scene, if you don't mind. Um, Gail versus Claire Temple. What a cool scene! Finally, we have Madame Gail mentioning the other defenders. By name. Hey! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we've, really cool. We've waited nine episodes, plus a season of Daredevil, plus a season of Luke Cage, plus uh, plus Jessica Jones as well, where they never really mentioned the characters by name. And we finally have Gao staring down Claire Temple and going, 
you're attracted to people of power. You're like Luke Cage, yeah. like Daredevil, like Danny Rand, uh, because you want to be a person of power. Because and if it hasn't happened for you, young lady, yet it's never going to happen. I thought this was really cruel and a really good use of Gay's brand new power, her ability to get under your skin. Absolutely. Um, um, I think this is what made this whole interrogation scene absolutely worth it yes they were failing in doing it and that's because they were up against Gao and mm-hmm. it was a tables are turned um you know I I loved how she effectively interrogates Colleen Wing as well talking about her master like so and, and you know have you told Danny yet so she knows her secrets we have this undermining of Claire's motivations and and, and connections with the the other uh, defenders of Luke Cage and Daredevil uh, as well as with Iron Fist and um, and I think that's why um it was kind of utter abject failure by Colleen, Claire and Danny to extract information yet Gao is playing them back and uh, that to me was, that's what I loved about uh, these scenes I think as well, um, you know when she does get the truth serum injected into her, you know, th- there's that moment where you think it's working and, and maybe it did just for very brief moments of time but then Gao kind of comes round and says do you think that, you know do you think that that would have uh, worked on me. Mm. Um, again, showing uh, just how resilient she is. Um, but, you know, we, we, we get to see that maybe she worked on Danny's mum first to get her a foothold into uh, Rand Enterprises yeah. uh, to meet uh, uh, Danny's dad. And, and obviously that, you know, um, there's a slight dig at Danny's parents by her during this this scene again, undermining um, his sensitivities. So I really enjoyed um, this interrogation scene from from Gao's point of view. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I, th- I think one of the things that's really strange though, and it's it's picking up something that you said on the last podcast, Eric, is that even though we got those snippets of information of Danny's story and of uh, you know now the the reveal of in in name form of Luke Cage and Daredevil. Mm-hmm. It is the it is the Meacham storyline that is fleshing out compared to Danny's. Yeah. And it's a it's a bit off kilter to some extent that the main uh, protagonist of this series um really is still slightly in the shadows with regards to what he's doing, why he's doing it and who he's up against and, and mm-hmm. why. Uh, whereas the 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 Meacham storyline is really fleshing out from a, a a personal relationship way. Um and so it's kind of interesting. I'm hoping now that ultimately it all kicks off in episode 10, but I'm glad we got finally a a bit further in to Danny's storyline through those two little elements um, yeah. of uh, of Gao fighting back while she's bound to that chair. I think you're right um, in terms of the over kind of like Danny's story not being fleshed out. I think it's a third act thing based on a yeah. mysterious stranger, which we'll probably talk about later. We are right um, on we are right on the cusp of learning more. I think it just feels like there are characters now that are that are brought in. It's much more significantly in this episode that are going to flesh out Danny's story now because that's yeah, what we need. Exactly, I think so. I think this is so. the The first part would be like you can pretty much assume would be Danny's return and how that impacted everyone. 
Part two is the the Meachams and the or the change of the Meachams. Mm-hmm. So that is what we're getting now, and which will be resolved in episode ten, which is Ward's break, Harold's second death and return mm-hmm. as Zombie Harold, and Joy's now induction into the dark side, if you want to call it that, almost right, well, which will be potential. Mm-hmm. And then I think end of episode ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen will be. Okay, let's tie up and explore Danny yeah. more, and then so that it ends right before. Um, yeah, I just caught what I said there. By the way, okay, so let's, let's tie Danny's storyline up and explore <laughs> more of his um, his background and history. I think that's where we're going to end up seeing that. That's that going into getting into Claire's mind mm-hmm. I'm happy that they finally int- introduced the other two characters like just by name check that's all we've wanted yeah. because it, it just acknowledges everything leading up to the Defenders which we always say everything's leading to the Defenders Yeah, they haven't built that bridge yet but it looks like they may begin there and it also gives you a huge piece of information about Gao she does know exactly who Luke Cage is she knows exactly who Daredevil is she's been studying them and she's aware of them yeah. even though Luke Cage had no connection with her in uh, in his his TV show uh, yeah. or in his appearance in Jessica Jones and she doesn't know Jessica Jones either very, very clear again that she doesn't men- make any mention of Claire's dealings with uh, with Jessica so it does give you a little bit of insight into Gao and the fact that she is monitoring these street level uh, superheroes or these street level heroes so yeah but like I, I'm assuming that's how it's it's going to be yeah she's a mob boss she knows mm-hmm. every cop on that beat if you want to call it that. And mm-hmm. she knows their weaknesses. and the She knows that Claire is the big squeeze of Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. And she, she's going to play that. And I think that's where, that's why so I got, this piqued my interest. Absolutely. Specifically that two lines. So the, the, the interrogation of Gav getting into Claire's head. I like that because it's showing, we've talked about this, the, the, the actress who plays Gav and the, the character that they're doing is, okay, she's got... Uh, one hell of a punch. Mm-hmm. We've seen that a number, well, three times now, I believe. Yeah. Um, right, the very her, series, yeah. Yeah, throughout the very series, I should say. But her big skill is taking down people mentally. Mm, seems and, like it. Like, she, she's able to, she was able to battle on a, wor- a war of words with Wilson Fisk. She makes uh, Matt Murdock like uneasy every time she he's there yeah or i should say daredevil because i don't think she she at this point she doesn't know who he is right yeah yeah no she had the conversation with daredevil in season two which we just actually watched the other night again just the conversation that she had with them and wanted to make sure that uh, whether there was a connection between her and the hand in daredevil and there wasn't uh is what we worked out she's um she has her own faction effectively and she's uh she's given uh daredevil guidance in season two kind of working with my enemy's enemy kind of thing. So um, yeah. she wasn't really connected with the overarching villain of Daredevil season two, um, but she gave him some guidance within the show. Yeah. 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 And with that now, I'm starting to see it. it's becoming hand is similar to Hydra. Mm. It has many heads, many fractions, all trying to do the same thing. I see that's where it's going. Absolutely. So we like, Oh, throughout, throughout the, the two Daredevil, or the one Daredevil and now Luke Cage, um, they're they're cutting off small pieces of their fractions, yeah, and they're going to end up going to get 
the the culmination of that in Defenders. Absolutely. So the so the overall, I enjoyed it. Again, John, I'm agreeing with you. This came, unfortunately, came off slightly more comical, maybe than they wanted. I'm not sure. I think that I think they're aiming for a little bit, yeah. a little bit lighthearted. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think, it, yeah, a little bit lighthearted. I found a few more guttural laughs than I should have. Okay, I think, and I think it was not. It it was probably just. Yeah, I, I again, gallo humor. I think some people would probably find it like just enough laughs, or probably too too many. Uh, or too little kind of thing and uh, I because of that gallo humor I enjoy probably found it too yeah. humorous yeah. right like right. The, 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 and the one thing I was going to say is I nearly screamed when they did the punch that stopped just in front of her I was like no I thought it was fab it looked great but then I was, I was just waiting for him to put out his finger and go doop <laughs> and then they'd be like okay yeah that's perfect I wish he kind of just fired up the fist there right in front of her face. Yeah, that would have been a really, really cool uh, image, I think. Um, I, I mean, I think as well, it, it's it's a difficult balance to have effectively the heroes doing something like interrogation. Um, it's kind of a bit like with Jessica Jones when when they did the, the Purple Man and they had to put him in, you know, the, the chamber. Yeah. You have to be really careful. I, I think um, with, with, with Jessica Jones, that conflict of how far you go was explored more than in this, um, definitely. But I, I think as well now, this kind of segues nicely into point three with, um, you know, the reappearance of Bakuto because we have, um, during the whole, um, interrogation and capture scene of Gao that we see that Colleen starts to get increasingly ill. Um, and we find that she has been poisoned through probably some kind of nick, uh, that she picked up from the fight in Anjou. It was um, right, yeah, it was the knife fight that she had yeah. uh, that we were speaking about in the last episode. So it, it, we we see her gradually deteriorate over um, the, the course of this interrogation mm-hmm. to the point where she requests her former sensei and mentor, Bakuto, who appears, um, which was good because, again, I think this helps just to flesh out these elements here and um, certainly uh, for for Danny and the connections and relationships here yeah but we have a really nice scene here where Bakuto starts to mentor uh, Danny in terms of the the power of his chi and how he harnesses it for something other than punching through doors that's right that's right really interesting here so uh, the point is kind of made by Bakuto here that uh, Danny doesn't have all of the knowledge that he needs as the Iron Fist he's effectively telling him here something that we've kind of guessed throughout the series that uh, Danny is not as ex- not as experienced with his knowledge of being the Iron Fist so perhaps it's something that he took um, and left Kunlun just after becoming the Iron Fist that he didn't have years of experience the 15 years that he spent in Kunlun were training and he may have only become the Iron Fist a couple of months ago kind of thing before he left and came back to New York um, that's really interesting yeah. yeah, I think we raised this in one of the previous podcasts. We just, that was what we were thinking, that, that he seems so inexperienced. This also then leads to us explaining potentially why he has an issue using the Iron Fist, mm-hmm. using that power. It's he is untrained. Exactly. Yeah. He does not know he has. He can use his chief for healing. He he can't always summon it as he wants. He ha- like the 
the the iconic usual images we we think of Iron Fist with his two fists glowing yeah. and running towards a battle in the comic books. Yeah, that's him in five years. Basically, we're seeing Act Two of the Origin. Yeah, Proto Fist. Yeah, Proto Fist. Yeah, I think that's a better name. Let's call him that. <laughs> I like on. it. And, and there was actually a piece of feedback that we got in over on Twitter from uh, Alan Shavit Lundstein, uh, who says, uh, "Great podcast as usual about our last podcast." And he says he sees Danny like Luke Skywalker leaving Dagobah, untrained and childish, but with potential. That kind of does sound right, doesn't it? Yeah, it, that it sounds like a, a a really good way of describing it. Actually, um, yeah, I, I I think that I mean we knew he was kind of a bit tempestuous. We knew he hadn't fully got his, his chi on in that sense. But like we see now that he you know does have it as a healing power. Yeah, we mentioned in episode four that there was a moment with Colleen where he uh, where he puts a plaster onto her and she seems to be healed a little bit quickly and i kind of made that made the mention i wonder was this the mcuing of danny's um healing chi that he's just very good at taking care of people they didn't show the they didn't show his hands brightening up or anything like that but in fact no they were actually going full comic book he just didn't have the power that didn't he didn't know he had the power uh, at that point and uses it for something here um to cure colleen quite it looks like quite a painful way of curing her anyway but it does look like a cures her yeah, but it, I mean, it, well, it, it's painful for her, but it's painful for him. I mean, he's completely knocked out, and I, I yeah. think um, you know we see him then being taken away into massive black four wheel drive. So, like Bakuto is uh, his connections. I suspect will get revealed hopefully in, in the next couple of episodes. Yeah, just one thing I want to go back to because you used a very good word there, John, earlier on. Colleen is slowly, gradually poisoned. Which I think is really interesting. If you noticed in the last episode, when one of Gao's um, followers was stabbed or was hit by the by the poison, he was killed almost instantly. He died very quickly. Um, if we take into account the timeline here, we're talking at least eight hours flight from uh, from China, at least potentially, or a fifteen minute drive from Brooklyn, obviously. Um, but there's that. There's the interrogation that's going on, and Colleen succumbs over many hours. It seems so. Is Colleen a lot more powerful than we think? Is her connection to Bakuto, her her instructor, does that mean she actually does have a bit more power um, that we haven't learnt about yet? Well, I think she could well be. Um, if she's another zombie, um, it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> I don't think she's a zombie. I think I'm wondering if he has taught her to harness her chi in some in some way, even though she hasn't been in Kun Lun, yeah. does, she, does she also have an ability to slow down these injuries? Um, she does say before, where after she got stabbed, she says, ah, no, it's just a flesh wound, where I would probably be crying if I got, a, you know, a, a paper cut. Well, uh, um, it could be that Bakuto um, is part of an order that allows people to um, slow their heartbeat and to uh, control uh, and master their physical body uh so i have a feeling that it could be the case she might not be full zombie but she's certainly trained in having full uh, control over her body um even down to uh you know a heartbeat or maybe even slowing the rate of poison maybe through. maybe i just thought it was an interesting idea that it was taking her a lot longer to get the poison through her body than not i'm just giving a theory to see if it's right uh-huh. We like our theories. Chris? Yeah. So I, I like that this was great. We saw Danny 
heal. Um, on Colleen getting sick, hmm. my counter theory is that they're a different fraction of the hand and that she is a, a member of the hand and <laughs> um, or, she, or she's a, a lower level member of the hand or some variation of it. Okay. Um, I agree. So that's, that's where, <laughs> yeah. But she, so I think she was sent by Bakutu or ordered by Bakutu to romance Danny. Mm. That's how that uh, this romance ends. That hurts so my find heart. Out. Yeah, and I, that's how he like going into Defenders. He meets Misty, and they they can the the comic book element can kind of go. Yeah, I I I would agree with that. So I'm the only one that thinks they're possibly part of Stick's order. Possibly so. I I would agree with Chris at the moment on this. Until I, I'm shown otherwise, I think. Um, when when saying that she can control her her body, uh, I think that's like the ninjas we saw in Daredevil uh, too, um, and and just how they can control their that how they move their their heartbeats and, and all of this. Okay. I think it's another faction of the hand because Madame Gauss has a really interesting thing. Um, you know, as he's being told to to heal Colleen by by Bakuto and and how to channel his chi in that healing way, and mm-hmm. um, that you know, effectively, she says you're walking into a trap. Um, so yeah. this will be really interesting. So I think it is really possibly as complex as that. Okay. Okay. So you. So just to make sure we're all we're all clear. So we've got the faction of the hand that was after Daredevil, Gao's hand tribe or guys hand group and the reason why she's so scared of Bakuto when he arrives why are you here she says as he arrives at the door is because he's a third faction of the hand yeah and my theory is that he's a member of Styx group yeah, uh, yeah. which incor- has incorporated Daredevil into the group effectively as well so that's my theory and that's and that's you guys interesting to see how that will play out in the future mm. so we have finished our points but I think we have one more person that we do need to talk about because there was some quite big scenes from a new visitor to New York in this episode absolutely um, do you reckon this person is Davos I mean we've kind of been saying that this person's Davos that that, that homeless person in, in China was Davos mm. that Bakuto was possibly Davos that I think think one of the ladies selling the drugs could have been Davos. Um, <laughs> Don't think we went that far. You know, but here we see, yeah, this this figure, he looks like he's just come off uh, a, a year around the world, um, a gap year. Yeah, um, kind of so, like Danny. Yeah, kind of like Danny. He exactly. dresses better, though. He does. Yeah, and in fairness, he can make ninja flying stars out of tinfoil. Mm-hmm. Now, if he can make it out of baking paper, I think that would be even cooler. <laughs> like, um, this is awesome. I, I absolutely love the, the Ninja Flying Stars. Felt sorry for the guy who owns the, the, uh, the truck. I thought that was a bit harsh, uh, on him. Uh, but yeah, he, we see him first outside of Round Enterprises, kind of, uh, looking a bit shifty. In fact, I think he bumps into, um, Harold. He sees Harold. Oh, yeah. he sees him, yeah. yeah. And and then finally, as Danny is being whisked off uh, by uh, Bakuto in, in the back of his four-wheel drive, he's there outside of the dojo looking up. 
probably seeing all the uh, all of Gao's guards hanging from their zip lines uh-huh. uh, outside of the windows, um, <laughs> like kind of Chinese lanterns. Maybe, yeah. yeah just need a little light on each one. So yes, yeah, so this is entirely possible. This is Davos. In fact, we did kind of know because, as we've Davos, said before, yeah. we do put on the uh, the subtitles, and uh, and there are things called credits at the end of the episodes as well, uh, both of which tell us that this is Davos. Finally. Uh, yes okay so really sorry about all of our theories about who davos could be i think it was because he was one of the first characters mentioned early on in the season by um by danny rand saying that my friend davos so we knew he was coming at some point i kind of didn't expect him to be coming this late in the series but i'm really glad he's here he's pretty darn cool he looks cool um will he be a force for good a force for change or Mm. a force for evil um (laughs) it'll be interesting yeah we'll see I think we're going to get a Baron Mordo style. I think you might be um, right. uh, piece here. Interesting. He'll join with Danny. He won't agree with what Danny's become, and by episode thirteen, he's well like, "Screw you, Danny! You're my my arch enemy." Okay, I think I think it's simpler than that. I think he's arrived in New York um, with the sole purpose of finding Danny, but not to be on his side. Um, I think I mentioned it a couple of episodes that that I think that Danny has has run away from Kunlun when the, what did they say? The realms aligned. Um, yeah. It only aligns every 15 years in the, in this TV show. Um, I think Danny's escaped run away and Davos is here to bring him back because he is supposed to be the protector of Kunlun. Um, he seems a bit too vicious with beating up the first guy he meets and, <laughs> uh, and creating uh, tinfoil throwing stars to throw at the wall. Um, I was wondering how this plan was going to work out for him because, you know, if you're waiting for Danny to turn up to work, you know, maybe 11 o'clock the following morning and he's sitting in this food van, is he going to be like, you know, selling hot dogs to people um, for three or four hours before it arrives? Because you can't just stand there with queues of New Yorkers outside going, no, no, I'm just uh, the the chef's off today. Um, I'm just taking care of the van for three or four hours. So luckily he got a bit of a tip off as to where to go. Um, I wasn't sure how the the actual plan was going to work out, though. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not sure how he got the tip off. By the way, mm. that was interesting. He followed the chi. It could, it could be that. Actually, I yeah. mean, yeah, like he, um, you know, he is a, a, another um, another character who's uh, imbued with mystical um, knowledge as such. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether you know he has um, some of the powers that we know he can have from the comics, which is, you know, that he can also call on the powers of the Chi. Interesting. But we don't know that yet. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see how this character um, gets integrated now into um, the Iron Fist. Absolutely. Uh, right, finished top five points and a little note there, I suppose, or a big note there. Uh, Chris, any notes about the episode? The big one, we just mentioned the food truck. Mm. That food truck is from the promo art and the Defenders. Interesting. I don't know. So somehow this will play in, or they just had the prop left over from Iron Fist. And they went, that would look good. Is this the photo shoot that was done with the Defenders, is it? Or yeah. The, okay, yeah, yeah. Because that, that was done by Entertainment Weekly, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so so it could be um, it could have been just the prop because Iron Fist was filming at the time. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this uh, if this continues. This is the uh, this is Davos's van now uh, <laughs> as he travels around New York, or it's the Defender van. I was more going for the Davos mobile. I like it. I like it. <laughs> at, least uh, at least he'll never go hungry. Or the mystical machine, <laughs> and he will have Scooby Doo. I like it. I like it. 
Yeah, it, it was Harold. Let's see what's under the mask. <laughs> oh, skin. Oh, oh, sorry. Here. Nice. My other note I just wanted to quickly jump on is Danny does actually finally mention in full that he did, in fact, fight a dragon in a cave. That's right. In order to That's earn right, the yeah. powers. Yes. So at least there's something there. I don't think we're going to see it. Oh, please say we see it. I hope we see it. I um, really do. Please say the reason that we got low-budget China in the last episode is because we're going to see a dragon. We'll probably see a flash of eyes. Okay, okay, that's cool. Like, I, I, I'm good with that. two eyes looking at you. I'm good with that, I'm good with that. Yeah. Chris, any other notes? Yeah, my, um, the final, final, final note is, um, I believe this is the episode that finally gives us the first mention of Colleen's grandfather, mm. Kenji Ozawa. Mm. Um, so in the comics, which is great, because in the comics, he was the one who trained her and gave her the, the white sword too. Very cool. Um, Very so nice, yeah. At least they're staying faithful there, and they're, they're, there's some connection. But like, it was a nice kind of offhand comment. Uh, I still prefer the dragon and the cave comment. Yeah. Of, uh, if we were comparing comments. <laughs> well, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. of course. Well, with that... Chris, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist, Season 1, Episode 9, The Mistress of All Agonies? Um, I do. Um, I find the pacing off, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but we discussed this. We actually discussed this off air again. Just because, yeah, it is around this time, Episode 8, 9, 10, where there's always one episode around those times in every series where we're a bit like, this is exposition and filler. That's mm-hmm. all he gave us, really. Um, which is fine. I suppose you have to do it. You have to expand stories. I just, some of it was just like, oh, you could have just put that scene in somewhere else. Right. But we did see some great pieces. We mm-hmm. saw we, we, our big, our most one outlandish um, ideas of, eh, well, zombie Harold. Like, yeah, that's going to happen. Oh, wait, it did. Oh, damn it. So <laughs> I'm just putting this out here. My theory about a giant hand coming out of the hole in New York actually is looking slightly more plausible now. <laughs> just slightly. Just just ever so slightly, but it's plausible. A little. We saw a zombie come back. Come on. Um, yeah, for, for, for everything that I kind of sniggered at, like for the interrogation, etc., um, I, I found other things I liked. I liked the Davos reappearance. I liked trying to figure out who the hell Bakuto is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked I liked the ending. A simple ending. Yeah. But powerful and again a Netflix one is it powerful enough that I was like, Oh, Derek won't know. Derek won't know. If I just just, just ten seconds of the first episode I will fine. always know, Chris. I swear you actually have like an implant in the back of your head that goes, he's washed your head. He's found out, John. <laughs> he he is. Der- Derek is actually Harold Meacham. Ah, <laughs> he's got cameras all over your uh, apartment. Oh, don't don't say anything like that. Be very should. afraid, <laughs> <laughs> Mister FBI. We're only joking. We're only joking. Uh, but yeah, so I do defend. I do defend this episode. But just, just again on par. Just if if I had to do a John on it, I'm like four zombies. Out of five. Interesting. Interesting. Very good. Speaking of which, John, do you defend season one, episode nine of Iron Fist? 
I do defend this episode of Iron Fist. Um, I think you may have taken my star rating there, Chris, uh, but I, I had a slightly different one. Um, it was, I would give this four sweet zombie heralds out of five. Or maybe, actually, four ninja stars. Um, tinfoil ninja stars at that out of five. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this was a good bounce back from episode eight. I think um, definitely, uh, for me... I think David Wenham coming back um, from beyond the pool um, as as Harold and his interaction with Ward and with Kyle and with um, with Joy I thought was really good. I mean, David Wenham is fantastic mm-hmm. um, in this role. He he does um, you know scary. What's he gonna do? Really, really well. Um, I, I thought the ice cream baller uh, attack <laughs> on Kyle was like completely unexpected, but I just that shift in his tone around the table with the ice cream after um, Kyle really does um, put his foot in it. Really, um, and then I great to see Gao um, back uh, as this fierce lady. Uh, who really kind of turns the tables, even though she's been strapped to the chair for the the full episode, turns the tables against um, uh, Colleen, Claire, and Danny. Um, but there's also the the great promise here from uh, you know Bakuto coming in, uh, teaching Danny how to use his chi for healing, but also seeing Gao's reaction to him. You know who is Bakuto and and who is is Colleen. Uh, really intriguing uh, for for developing over episodes ten and eleven, as well as now this mysterious, non not so mysterious figure of Davos arriving in New York <laughs> and seeing Danny getting whisked away uh, by Bakuto. Yeah. Um, so really, um, I think as you were saying, Chris, you know this this final act sort of starting to really. Um, break down and explore Danny I think is is going to be most welcome and I think it started in this episode so yeah absolutely four sweet zombie Harold's holding a brain baller uh, in his hand out of five hmm. Derek do you defend this episode of Iron Fist I absolutely defend this episode. I really like these kind of episodes where we get some new setup to take us into the rest of the season. Seeing Bakuto back, uh, it's cool. Seeing Davos um, coming into the episodes finally. And seeing, obviously, David Wenham's uh, Zombie Herald coming back in. It's pretty cool. I don't rate episodes very often, but if I was, it would probably be three and a half ice cream scoops to the head. Probably would be, uh, would be my rating for this episode. Uh, really good. Above Above average. Uh, above above minimum, I suppose, um, and exciting to see what we're going to see in the future. That's it for our discussion for this episode of uh, of Defenders TV podcast. We are in episode ninety eight. Make sure you send in your feedback to us if you can for episode one hundred. Uh, email us over at feedback at defenderstvpodcast dot com or record a little uh, a little bit of your thoughts over on our website at defenderstvpodcast dot com or you can read us over on iTunes. Uh, just like Video Mook did, we've got our first rating this season uh, over on over on iTunes. We haven't actually asked for very many of these, but really nice to get a review in. Um, 
it was titled Excellent Podcast and a five-star review, which I absolutely love. Thank you so much, Woo-hoo. Video Mook. Uh, he says, such a great in-depth podcast on all things Marvel. They look for the positive in everything and deliver the goods with light-hearted banter. We're all about the bants here at Defenders TV Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Video Mook, for that very kind um, review uh, for us. Um, hopefully you didn't listen to my moanings on episode eight, but we are <laughs> normally very upbeat. Um, I think I was still fairly oh, yeah. uh, upbeat. Uh, nonetheless that, that was no no uh, fox fantastic four reboot episode <laughs> oh god oh yeah oh, i remember that don't you be worrying guys so of course if you want to leave a review of our podcast or indeed subscribe like one of our hosts has recently and um, then of course please head on over to defenders tv podcast.com forward slash iTunes, or you can search, obviously, um, Defenders TV Podcast in any good or evil podcast catcher. Please subscribe to the podcast. And, of course, if you leave a review, that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Thank you so much. If any of you are wondering, it was me. (laughs) I forgot to subscribe. (laughs) I don't know. It was just like we're in it. I'm like, is it a bit like... Uh, I don't know. Is it a bit like self-flagellation? You're kind of like, oh, yeah, listen to myself on the radio. I was like, no, no, I just forgot. Um, It's more that you need to listen to the outtakes um, from episode eight because, yeah, that's hilarious. We've got a little bit more feedback from our Facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Jeff Charles says, I like the way Harold had to slowly start remembering who he is. I wonder what the process has done to Electra. Has Madame Gao done this or has she long lived in some other way? Interesting points there, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering, is it turning into Marvel zombies over on uh, over the Iron Fist show? Yeah, I think we talked a bit about uh, a bit about what we think the effect might be on Electra in the show. Uh, yeah, has Madame Gao done this or has she long lived in some other way? Yeah, she said that she's thousands of years old uh, or hundreds of years old anyway uh, in the show. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if she's just been brought back to life by the hand and she's gone through the same experience as Harold has or is she possibly long lived in some other way yeah interesting question Jeff uh, Robert Phillips says opening pre-credits and the house resounds to me yelling call this at the iPad then it was not appreciated <laughs> yeah I'd say the people in the house were wondering what the heck you were talking about Robert and don't forget guys we also do have the marvellous Marvel feedback prize this this season um so if you go over to our website at defenders tv podcast.com you can leave us voicemail feedback and you too could get a marvelous marvel prize yes yeah absolutely yes by now we should have our photographs up on our facebook group come join us over on facebook.com slash groups slash defenders tv podcast if you want to see the photos of what is in that wonderful marvelous marvel prize you should see them uh as of the day we're recording the 8th of the 4th, we should have the post up there. Absolutely. And of course, we will be back on Friday, the 15th of April with our review and thoughts of I'm Fist Season 1, Episode 10, Black Tiger Steals Heart. Mm. By the way, on this title, I'm pretty much sure my theory about Colleen and Danny. There you go. Black Tiger Steals Heart. Okay. Colleen steals Danny's heart and then breaks it. But anyway... I'm more interested in just going to watch it. So now, with that, let us say goodbye. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll speak with you next time. Bye. You know, first I can't get you to talk, and now you just won't shut up. 
That was clear to Madame Gao, by the way. I wasn't uh, insulting okay. my fellow co-hosts. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>